Hey, my name is Blake Hilgenfeld, one of the pastors here, and just want to welcome you once again to, to Providence Road. Um, if you are a guest, there are cards like this under your seat, or maybe the seat next to you or whatever. We would love for you to fill this out for, uh, for us. This is our primary way of connecting with you, of following up with you. And so if you just put your name, email address, uh, your, your phone number, uh, maybe, uh, you know, like uh, what's your favorite drink or I don't know, any useless information uh, that you want to put on there. But really, we just need your name, your number, and your uh, email, and we'll follow up with you and connect with you. We want to do that. So please fill it out and just put it back in these boxes. Uh, there's one right here. There's two over here. It's also uh, our offering box as well for, for those who are members of the church. A couple other announcements before we get started. Uh, we are having a Connect Lunch next Sunday after the gathering. So if you are a guest with us this morning and you want to find out more information about uh, our church and, and meet some of the leadership of, of Providence Road, uh, this is for you. And so it's, it's right after the gathering. We'll have uh, lunch, uh, but there's no, there's no need to, to sign up for that. Just show up and, uh, and we'll feed you and, and get to know you. So that's, uh, that's next Sunday. Also, uh, we are having a baptism class. On April 15th, we are having Baptism Sunday. If you want to be baptized, we are having a class the Sunday before at 9.30. So on April 8th, 9.30, uh, we will have a class for you. Uh, and if you're interested, you can go back out there to the foyer in the Connect area, and you can sign up on the computer for that class. And so, again, if you are wanting to be baptized, uh, please, please sign up for that, uh, for that class, and, uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll get you baptized. All right, so here's the deal for this morning. Um, in God's providence, for those of you who don't, who, who don't know, we are, we are walking through a series on the book of Genesis, and we find ourselves in Genesis chapter 3, uh, which really is uh, just this picture of, uh, of how we got kind of into the mess that we are in today as human beings. Uh, and so what we're going to do this morning is we're just going to simply look at the story. And within this story, guys, we see, uh, we see great hope. And then we see great sorrow, great pain, great suffering, but then we see hope restored. So as we walk through this story, we're going to see uh, this glorious picture of what God has ultimately done to bring us back to himself. And that is why we are here this morning. That's why we are celebrating. We're celebrating the cross. We're celebrating the resurrection. But we have to understand the full picture and the full story for us to be able to truly, truly celebrate and rejoice this morning. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to start at the very beginning of humanity, and we're going to work our way to the most glorious event that ever happened in the history of the world, and that is the death and the resurrection of the person named Jesus Christ. So that's where we're going, we're going this morning. But let's first pray, and then we'll jump into his word. Let's pray. Father, it's good just to be still for just a moment. In a world where everything seems pretty chaotic, and it is, In a time where our souls feel restless and weary, we are in need of some hope. We are in need of good news. And so, Father, as we come to your word this morning, we ask that you will help us to see 
not only the good news, but help us to also see the bad news. Because ultimately, Father, we know that your good news will not be seen as good news unless we understand the bad news of who we really are. And so, Father, we ask that as we look at your word this morning, that you would come in power through your spirit to give us eyes to see. For we know that any spiritual understanding, any spiritual sight that we have comes from you. So we are in desperate need of you to come this morning and give us eyes to see. Reveal to us who we truly are and reveal to us our need for your son, Jesus Christ. We come and we submit to the authority of your word this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you guys have a Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, there's one under your seat, seat next to you. Uh, if you're not familiar with the Bible, uh, it's, uh, Genesis is right at the very, very, very beginning. Uh, so it doesn't take you very long to get there. Genesis chapter 3. We're going to re- read verses 1 through 7. Genesis 3, 1 through 7. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast in the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you should not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And the eyes of both were opened and they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Now, If you have been with us over the past couple weeks, we have walked through the beginning of the book of Genesis. And so we spent a couple weeks looking at Genesis chapter 1 and 2, and we have seen God's glorious work in creation. And so in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, we are told that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so, guys, before anything existed, God existed. And he brought everything into existence, including human beings. And so we have seen not only God's work in creation, but we also have seen God creates this place for human beings to thrive, a garden where everything in it is good and there is no hint of evil. I mean, imagine that for just a moment. Imagine an existence where there is no death or decay. Imagine an existence where everything that God created is still good and right and perfect the way in which God intended it to be. There was no pain. There was no fear. There was no anger. There was no selfishness. There was no, there was no brokenness. There was no worry. There's no fear of death. There was no chaos. There was no destructions. destruction. There was no failed hopes. There were no crushed dreams. None of this existed. Because God was at the center of creation, including the center of his most prized creation in the hearts of Adam and Eve, God was their treasure. 
He was their life. He was their everything. And so as a result of this, everything was perfect. Everything was good. Everything was right as it was intended to be. This is how things used to be in the beginning. And so we see here that things went terribly wrong. You see, after God creates his most prized creation in Adam and Eve, the saddest moment, guys, the saddest moment in the history of humanity occurred. I mean, we are three chapters into the history of mankind, and we see something unthinkable take place. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, rebelled against their loving and gracious creator, God. And as a result, sin came into this world. And guys, you and me have been tasting the bitter consequence of this event ever since. You see, the very nature of sin, the very nature of evil itself, is rebellion of the creature against its creator. And this is the desire of the father of evil himself, Satan. And we see this very, very, very clearly in this passage, don't we? I mean, we see clearly that the desire and the goal of the serpent is to lead Adam and Eve to rebel against the one who made them. His ultimate goal is, his desire is to, is to lead them away from the one who promised to give them everything that they need, to promise to always love them and protect them and to care for them. His desire is to lead them and turn them away from him. And ultimately, we see that the serpent leads Adam and Eve to this place where they rebel and choose to place themselves at the center of their existence and creation. So ultimately, the rebellion is this, guys. The rebellion is, is Adam and Eve placed themselves in the place of God. Now, how does he do this? How does the serpent lead Adam and Eve to this place of rebellion? This is really, really, really important for us to see, guys. Why? Because his tricks, his plan, his desire is the same for you and me today, this morning. The plan is this. The plan, the first part of the plan is to create doubt and distrust in their hearts of God. So the enemy's plan, his desire, the way in which he goes about the, the rebellion is he places the seed of doubt and distrust of God in Adam and Eve's heart. What does verse 1 say? What does the serpent say to Eve? He, he says, did God actually say? Did, did God really say that you shall not eat of any of the tree of the garden? Do you see what he's doing? Guys, we better see this because his tricks are still the same today. His evil plan is to plant that seed of doubt in Eve's heart and mind, which is causing her to doubt the wisdom and goodness and faithfulness and trustworthiness of God. Did God actually say that? Did he really say that? This question is meant to lead Eve to this place where she said, well, now, now that you mentioned it, why did God do that? I mean, why can't I eat of the tree? 
I mean, he's given me, he, he's given us everything else, right? He's given us everything else in this garden for us to thir- uh, flourish and thrive and for our good. But why is he keeping this from us? What's up with him? It seems a little bit unfair. It seems a little bit unreasonable that he's given us everything else but this one tree. Why can we not eat of this one tree? Listen closely. The whole question is meant to cause Eve to question God and lead her to this place and Adam to this place of doubt and distrust and the goodness and faithfulness of God. And the truth is, we find this to be our reality too, don't we? I mean, if we stop and we look deeper within our hearts and our souls and our mind, isn't this your experience? I mean, don't you too struggle? I mean, I do. I struggle, and I'm assuming all of us struggle this morning, to trust and bank and believe and obey the very words of our sovereign king and creator. Why? Well, it's because our hearts have a hard time trusting We have this difficult time believing, ultimately, that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he says that he will do. I mean, God says to us, give me your life. It belongs to me. I made you. I created you. I formed you together in your mother's womb. Your life and everything in it belongs to me. But what do we find ourselves saying? Nah. I'm the captain of the ship. My life is my own, and I can do with it whatever I please. God says to us, I want your heart. I'm not interested in in heartless sacrifices. I want your affections. I want your desires to be on me. But we say that's not possible. Because my heart is captivated by by other things in this world. Because ultimately, I do not believe that you will satisfy my heart. Instead, I look to money. I look to career. I look to sex and sexuality and and popularity and education and grades to satisfy the emptiness that lies within my soul. Because I ultimately don't believe that you will satisfy those. These other things are so much better. God says to us, hey, will you... Trust me with your future. Trust me with your future. And we say, well, how can I? You you didn't come through for me in the past. So how, how can I trust you with my future? How can I trust you to provide for me when you did not provide for me in the past? I mean, I'll just take matters into my own hands because I'm not really sure that you are good and faithful as you say that you are. I make a better God. At least I can trust myself. God says, will you believe that I love you? I've always loved you, and I've always cared for you. I mean, who has given you every breath that you've ever taken? And we say, really? You love me? Then why did you let that happen to me? I mean, if you really love me, then why did you let that happen to me? God says, will you trust that my ways are for your good? and for your flourishing, and we say, I don't think so. They seem to be very unfair and too restricting. I like the ways of the world. They give me freedom. They give me joy. I can do whatever I please. Listen, the lies and the lists and the whispers and the chirping about the goodness and faithful and trustworthiness of God goes on and on and on. I mean, guys, do you see that at the heart of the rebellion lies unbelief? 
I mean, we, we, we can't get caught up in the, in, the, in the visible action of them taking the fruit. We can't get caught up in our own, our own actions and behaviors because it lies, something lies so much deeper into our hearts and souls that actually causes us to do the things that we do. It's that invisible unbelief in our hearts about the goodness and faithfulness and trustworthiness of God that causes us to choose other things rather than God. We entertain them, don't we? When the lies come and the whisper comes, we entertain them. We don't tell them to stop. God is not for you. God is not good. He does not love you. He doesn't want, th- he doesn't want what's best for you. He definitely never will, never will forgive someone like you, and he will definitely not love and care for someone that is as ugly and broken as you are. At least that's what you think about yourself. We listen and we begin to believe them as true. And what do we do? We give in. And what happens? We turn from God and we begin to trust in the things of this world to give us security and satisfaction and value and worth. And what does that do? It pushes us further and further and further away from the one our souls were made for. The one who will give us true security. The one who satisfies the deepest longings of our souls the one who loves us, the one who cares for us, unlike anyone else. It pushes us further and further and further away. We give in, we take the bait, we believe the lies that life is better without God. Now listen, we have to see them for what they are. They are lies. They're lies. It's not true. They are simply not true, which leads us ultimately kind of to the second part of the the serpent's plan. Not only does he want to create this doubt and distrust in our hearts, but what he does is he takes the very word of God and he twists it. He begins to lie. And he speaks those lies. He, he spews these venomous lies into our, into our ears, into our hearts, until we, we believe them and we begin to, to doubt and distrust the very character and nature of God, which leads us ultimately to, uh, to rebel. So he is a truth distorter. Verse 2. Eve responds. We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you shall die. But listen to the serpent. This is what he says. He says, oh, Eve, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You see what he's doing? The serpent takes the very precious word of God and he twists it into something that it is not. And ultimately, you know what he's doing? He's making God into something that he isn't. So he begins to distort the very character and nature of God. And isn't it very, very interesting that the very first command that he distorts and he twists is the doctrine of God's judgment. He attacks and he comes against the very holiness and righteousness of God. You will not surely die, Eve. This isn't true. God is not a God of judgment. There is no death. There ultimately is no consequences for disobeying the commands of a holy and righteous God. He is just keeping you from something. He's withholding something from you. He's he's keeping you from being really happy and free. So go on and just do whatever you want to do. 
Listen very carefully, guys. It's this lie that should grieve us, but it also should terrify us. Because if we stop and we look around the world, if we look in our culture, even if we look within our own hearts, have we believed this lie? Have we we believed the lie that there is no consequences for disobeying the commands of a holy and righteous God? It seems like it, doesn't it? I mean, if we stop and we take a look at the world around us, it seems that we are simply just too consumed with entertainment and playfulness, and we're too occupied with the lie that we can do whatever we want to do, and so we just go about our happy business believing that there are no consequences for our actions. I mean, the only command that we believe to be true is to be authentic. Just be who you want to be. Just do what you want to do. Therefore, who needs God when you can be God? Why why does there need to be any belief in God when you are God? And if there is any belief in God in our culture within us, I mean, surely then God is just a God of love, right? And he will never hold us accountable for the things that we have done. Judgment? What judgment? Death? Why should I fear death? I mean, how many people all around us, including some of us here this morning, we have this hope that we will go to this better place after our lives are over because we believe that God will not do anything to hold us accountable for our actions. It's as if we are banking on God being merciful and loving, which he is, but we fail to believe that he is also a God of justice and holiness, and he keeps his word. Always. Or how many, how many of us believe that uh, our, our hope simply lies and that, that, and that we're really not that bad? I'm really not like Adam and Eve, right? I mean, it's Hitler and Kim Jong-un that really need to be concerned, not me, right? I'm not that bad. I mean, God only deals with the really, really, really bad people. I mean, do I yell at my kids sometimes? Yes, but. Did I mess up at that fraternity sorority party? Yes, but. Did I withhold from the IRS? Yes, but they definitely don't need it. I mean, do I do what God wants me to do? Yeah, sometimes. Do I think about him? Uh, Occasionally. But at the end of the day, I'm really not like Adam and Eve, but we are. We all are. Every single one of us. Which puts us in the same place, in the same boat, in the same reality, doesn't it? It doesn't matter how good you think you are or how bad you think you are or what you have done. We're all in the same boat. Eve believed the lie and gave into the desires of her heart. She ate of the tree. Adam believed the lie, gave into the desires of his heart, and he ate of the tree. And we too believe in the lie, and we give into the desires of our heart, and we eat too. They rebelled, and so have we. So this puts us, you know, I think at times as human beings, we kind of compare ourselves and say, well, I'm not as bad as that person, or, or look what they're doing. That is, that, is, that is so, that's so bad. I'm good. But this puts us, everyone in here, it puts us all in the same boat and the same place. There is no place for us to judge others because we are, we got to look at ourselves. And we are in Adam. We are in Eve. We all are in this same place. Now, 
This is not good news, is it? It's not good news. And you know what? Here is, here is the devastating consequences or reality for our rebellion, but also that God is a God that keeps his word. End of chapter 3, look at it. End of chapter 3, verse 24, we see the devastating reality of the consequences of our rebellion, but also God keeping his word. God tells us, he lays out, he shows for us this morning, what did he do? He drove out the man at the east of the garden of Eden. He placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. Listen, in a world that is so full of uncertainty, there is one thing for certain. God will always keep his word. Always. He is a promise keeper. But what was the result? What was the result of God keeping his word? Adam and Eve were cut off from the tree of life, and the result was physical and spiritual death. So the devastating and horrific consequences of the rebellion is separation from life itself, which is knowing, enjoying, and being in relationship with God. They gave it up. They threw it away. And so we don't really know and have experienced what it's like to taste in its fullness the love and the joy and the peace and the protection of our maker to see how good God really is is because we're separated from him. Oh, if we only taste and see that he is so good, we wouldn't run after the things that we run after. And so now, as a result, this is now, this, is, this was their reality, and it's our reality. What our reality is now, because of this, is death. It is separation. It's brokenness. I mean, we don't have to, I don't have to sit here and argue to tell you about the brokenness of the world around us, do I? You taste it every day. Why? Because our hearts now love ourselves more than our creator and our fellow image bearers of God. And sadly, this is our re new reality. And death reigns, guys. Sin reigns. Destruction and chaos and heartache and pain, suffering reigns because the world, Adam and Eve, you and me, have believed this lie that this world and everything in it is better than knowing and enjoying and being in relationship with our sovereign king. And he's kept his promises you will surely die. Now, does this reality grieve your heart this morning? It should. Because this is my reality. This is your reality. This is the reality of the city. This is the reality of your kids. This is the reality of your family members. This is the reality of, uh, of your friends, that God has kept his word. And because we all have taken and eaten, we are under the tyranny of sin and death and chaos and destruction. And God has given us over to the desires of our heart and we take and we eat. Do you see this? If you do not see this, if we do not see this, if we do not understand this, if our hearts are not grieved and broken by the reality and truth that we have rebelled against our sovereign king who has loved us with an everlasting love. 
who made us to be in relationship with him and to trust him to be under his care and protection. If we don't see that we've tossed that aside and we've chosen other, other things, if we don't understand that and see that, then what are we celebrating this morning? Why should we celebrate this morning? If we're not awakened to our spiritual reality of what we actually deserve as a result of our own rebellion against our gracious and heavenly Father, Creator, King, then you'll never look to Him for mercy and grace. But if you see and you, and you desire mercy and you desire grace for God to give you what you do not deserve or withhold from you what you actually do deserve... How do you know that he actually be gracious and merciful to you? How do you know that he's slow to anger? How do you know that he's abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness and patient with you? How do you know this? How do you know this to be true? Because the enemy wants to keep you from, from believing and seeing that God is actually, he is very merciful, very gracious. He loves you. He cares for you. He's patient with you. How do we know this is true? Because many years later, after the Garden of Eden, there was another garden, another human being, and another tree. You see, even before the rebellion, God had a plan, guys. He had a plan to make everything right again. He had a plan to restore Eden. He had a plan to stop the mutiny and bring a people back under his good and sovereign reign. But this plan was costly at his own expense. You see, Satan had a plan to, uh, to, to condemn and destroy, but God has a plan to save and, to, and restore. And so you know what God does? He becomes like you and me. He takes on flesh and blood. And his name is Jesus Christ. And he is the image of the invisible God. So guys, listen very carefully. When we see Jesus, I, I don't know what your understanding of Jesus is this morning. He could just be this historical figure, right, that was good and, and he taught some really, really, really good things, right? I mean, I, I have no idea what your understanding is and what your experience of Jesus is. But listen very carefully. When you look at Jesus, what you should see is a life that you and me have failed to live. What we should see is the perfect and better Adam. What we should see is a life that perfectly loved and treasured and obeyed God that humanity was to do, but we have failed to do. Even to the point of death. You see, there is a garden outside of Jerusalem. It's called the Garden of Gethsemane. I've been there. I've touched it. I've smelt it. I've seen it with my eyes. Never seen the Garden of Eden. But I have seen the Garden of Gethsemane. And before Jesus went to the cross, he went into this garden. And he cries out to his heavenly father in Luke chapter 2, verse 42, and he says this. He says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. If you are willing, remove this cup. And what is this cup? This cup is the wrath and justice of God that will be poured out upon the Son for the sins of many. 
He says, Father, please, is there another way? Is there another, a, another plan to reverse this curse of sin and death that is over humanity? Is there another way, another plan to bring your lost sons and daughters of Adam and Eve back to you? Please tell me that there's another way, another plan to bring those you love but have rebelled against you back into perfect relationship with you in the garden outside the city of Gethsemane or Jerusalem. Jesus, the perfect one, the sinless one, the one who knew no sin, the one who never rebelled, the one who loved God the way humanity was to love God, knew that he was going to be made sin. So listen very carefully. Jesus knew that he was going to take upon himself the sin of the world and that he would be cut off from the Father, but he believed. He trusted his Father. He trusted that if he went to the cross, his Father would be faithful in raising him from the dead to conquer sin and death and Satan once and for all. And so there in the garden, we see, guys, we see the greatest act of obedience in the history of the world. In one garden, we see the saddest moment in disobedience. And in this garden, we see the greatest act of obedience in the history of mankind. Jesus cries out, not my will, Father. Not my will be done, but yours. May your will be done. And what did he do? He took it. He drank the cup of God's wrath. Why? Because he loved his father. He loved his father. And he knew that it was his father's will to crush him. He knew that it was his father's will for him to drink the cup of his, God's, uh, of, of his wrath. And so in Philippians chapter 2, it tells us that Jesus humbled himself. And he became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And he willingly, he willingly, willingly, willingly gave up his life and he obeyed the Father and laid his life down for the sake of his Father's will. Why? Because it was the will of the Father to crush his son and to raise him from the dead, to save and redeem and restore lost sons and daughters back to himself. He did this for you. And now, now we have hope. Now there's hope for you. There's hope for me. Why? Because of the obedience of the one man, Jesus Christ. Not because of our own obedience. We don't have it. We have lost it. There is nothing that we can do in our good behavior, good actions, our own obedience to God to be acceptable in the sight of a holy and righteous God. But we can now have the perfect obedience of the one man, Jesus Christ, who obeyed his father, died on a tree, was rose from the dead. And it's this truth that we celebrate this morning. That through the one man, Jesus Christ, we can be made righteous in the sight of God and be restored into a new relationship with him. It's this glorious news of Easter that one tree condemns, but one tree saves. So here, right now, 
this moment is our garden moment. Do you believe? More importantly, do you trust? Do you trust God when he says to us in John 3.36, it's going to be on the screen, that whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Listen, these aren't my words. These are the very words of God. And God is faithful to keep his promises. So listen very carefully. For those of you who believe in the Son this morning, you have eternal life. You have eternal life. Why? Because the Son drank the cup of God's wrath for you so that you would never taste it anymore, and he was raised from the dead. The tomb is empty for you so that you can reign with him forever. That's yours. So this is your new reality. Instead of sin reigning over you, you know, it reigns over you this morning. If you are trusting Christ and you're in him, righteousness reigns over you. Death does not reign over you anymore. Life reigns over you. Satan does not reign over you anymore. But Christ reigns over you, and you will reign with him forever in this life and the life to come, all because of the obedience of the one man, Jesus Christ. And so if you believe this, hope in this. Bank on this, guys. Fight to believe this. That God is faithful to keep his promises always, 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 always. Because I know, I know the struggle within your heart and my heart to believe this. And it's not going to stop this side of heaven. This battle will continue. And the enemy wants to destroy you by whispering about the, about the goodness and the faithfulness and the trustworthiness and the kindness of God. Just chirping in your ear. For you to not believe and trust and bank on the promises of God. Keep believing. Keep trusting. Keep walking by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. Eternal life is yours so long as you continue to believe and can cling to Christ. Keep believing. Keep trusting. Keep believing in his future promises and future grace that he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for you, how will he not graciously give you all things? God's sovereign power is now for you and on your side and is over you and all things in life because you reign with him. His promises are true. Bank on them. Cling to them. Trust in them. Bank your life on them. Because your life is at stake, believing and trusting and banking on the promises of God. Whoever believes, whoever trusts, whoever treasures Christ has eternal life. But listen very carefully. Whoever does not believe, whoever rejects the Son, you will drink the cup of God's wrath. God is faithful to keep his promises. If only 
If only I had the power and the ability for it to cause you to see and believe and trust in the beauty and the sufficiency and the value and the saving work of Jesus Christ, I would do that for you. I long for you to see and believe that Jesus is your only hope in this life and the life to come, all because of what he has accomplished for you and not what you can do to make yourself acceptable before God. It's Jesus. He is your only hope. But I cannot cause you to believe. I cannot produce faith within your heart. The reality is Satan has blinded you from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ. You do not see. But God can give you sight. Maybe for the first time in your life this morning on this Easter, maybe you see. Maybe you, maybe you believe. Maybe you, maybe you trust for the first time and see your need for a perfect obedience and righteousness that you do not have to be able to come back into relationship with your creator and maker who loves you and who created you to be in relationship with him. Maybe you see that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life for the first time. Oh, I hope so. I hope so. And listen to me closely. If you find yourself believing and trusting for the first time, maybe you find it in your heart to cry out to God right where you're at and say, God, I trust you for the first time in my life. I trust you. I haven't been very uh, aware of who you are. My life has been absent of you. But this morning, I see that you created me to be in relationship with you. And because of my unbelief in who you are and turning to other things, that I have rejected you and I don't want you, maybe you see that for your first time. Cry out to him and say that. And maybe you see for the first time that Jesus Christ came to live the life that you have failed to live, and you say to the Father, I see Jesus for who he is. He lived the life that I failed to live, and he came to die the death that I rightly deserve, and to drink the cup of your wrath for my sin, to satisfy your justice and holiness and righteousness towards my rebellion. Forgive me. Have mercy upon me. Would you take the death of Jesus and, and credit it to me that all of my sin is washed away by the blood of Jesus and may you give me his life that you may see me as a perfect, obedient, law-keeping son of yours that you now accept me and give me his life through his resurrection. May that be your prayer this morning. Because one tree condemns but one tree saves. Will you eat and drink of the only source of eternal life? And that is Christ Jesus himself who came and died and rose again to free us from the tyranny of sin and death and Satan and give us life. He's the answer. He's the reason we celebrate. So this is what we're going to do. For those of you who are new with us this morning and guests, every single Sunday that we gather together, we take the Lord's Supper. 
And so what that really is, is, is that as God's people, we come together and we, we remember. We remember the, the body of Christ broken for us, and we remember his blood shed for us. Now, I want you to visibly see the juice and the bread. And I want you to hear your Savior say, take and eat and drink. For those who have taken and eaten of me, of my work, of my life, of my death, of my resurrection, you have life. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to spend a few moments of reflection. And I don't want to be honest with you. I know that this was pretty weighty, right? Pretty weighty. But as I said at the very beginning, the good news of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is not good news unless we understand the bad news. Unless we understand who we really, really are deep at our core and the very nature of who we are. And I hope that you have seen clearly this morning. I hope that the Holy Spirit has given you eyes to see who you are. But more importantly, I hope that you have seen how glorious Jesus is, how valuable Jesus is, how precious Jesus is. For Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through him. I also hope that you've seen that God is both holy and righteous, but he's gracious. He's merciful. He's slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And his arms are open for rebellious people like you and me to come back to him and have life. How do we know this? His body and his blood were shed for you and for me, those of us who have rebelled against him. And his arms are open wide, saying, come. Come. Come and eat and come and drink of me, and I will be faithful to keep my promises, and I will give you life. So this is what I want us to do. If you've taken and you've eaten and you're trusting in Jesus Christ as your only hope in this life and life to come. You're not looking to yourself. You're not looking to anything outside of yourself. You're not looking to be a good person. You're not looking to uh, uh, potentially another religion. You're not looking to, 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 to self-righteousness, self-help, anything like that. You're looking to Jesus to be your righteousness and to be the one who sacrificed himself to cover your sin and was raised from the dead, if that describes you, if you're banking on him, if you're trusting in him, if you're clinging to him as your only hope, I want you to spend some time thanking him because this is the reason why you believe is because he has shown in your hearts. It is God who's given you eyes to see your need for Jesus. And so I want you to spend some time thanking him that he gave you eyes to see, that he took the, the blindfold from your eyes, that you see your need for Jesus, and you cry out to him saying thank you. 
thank you. The reason why I believe and see and trust is because of you. If that describes you, spend some time reflecting, worshiping, giving thanks. And when you're ready, I want you to come and I want you to celebrate and eat and drink of your Savior's body and blood that was shed for you and broken for you to give you life. But listen very carefully. I want to give those of you who may be looking to other things. I hope that you've seen very clearly that those things will not work. They're insufficient. They're insufficient to bring you back into relationship with a holy and righteous God because your disobedience and rebellion needs to be dealt with. And on the cross, they were dealt with. Christ drank the cup of God's wrath so that you would not have to drink it for those who put their faith and trust in him. So will you believe? Will you trust? Will you cling to this person named Jesus Christ as your only hope? If that describes you, then come and eat and celebrate. And maybe for the first time, come do it. But if you need some time to reflect, I hope that you will spend some time reflecting on God. How he's good, he's kind, he's faithful, but he loves his glory. He doesn't mess with those who have messed with his glory. But I hope that you see that Jesus is the answer for all of that. So take and spend some time Worshiping, reflecting, giving thanks, and when you're ready, come and celebrate the risen, resurrected King and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's do it.